and uh, she's never had the opportunity to really report back formally to our church about some of the things that uh, she's learned and some of the things that she's seen there. So this is an ongoing conversation that I've been able to have with Annie, just seeing if we can get her up to share some of the things she's been learning. Also, uh, this year, uh, because of our contact with Belinda Lakeland from the association, she's the evangelism sort of portfolio in the Baptist churches, um, she asked me to nominate someone from my church, or a couple of people if I can find them, to go on this emerging evangelist conference um, that they do. It's a, it's a national conference, uh, and Annie became our New South Wales delegate this year. And so uh, that's a conference that happened around April this year. Uh, they did a couple of days, um, you know, took you out of uni and whatever, and they, they would have put you up, but it was just in Thornley, and so... Um, you know, <laughs> you missed out on some hotel accommodation there. But um, there was a pretty solid week of content and just, I think it was three days, wasn't it? Two. Two days of content from um, speakers from different parts of Australia and around the world, uh, getting together some of the younger people in Australia from every state uh, to come and talk about evangelism, uh, which I thought was a valuable investment in Annie. But uh, just so we get an idea of who you are and all that sort of stuff, can you tell us about... Uh, just where your place in the world is? Uh, where'd you grow up? Oh, um, my place in the world was a big question. I grew up um, for about 10 years of my life in Lincoln and then moved to Cherrybrook um, in 2007. Okay. Um, but I was born in Malaysia. Very cool. Um, Cherrybrook, nice suburb. Many of you know it. Uh, how's it feel to, you know, what's that suburb feel like to live in? <laughs> very ordinary. <laughs> um, I can't really say, just, yeah, very, like, I wouldn't call it a friendly neighbourhood, but it, it's, it's not threatening or anything, it's just very comfortable. Okay. Very, yeah. So how did, how did it feel uh, growing up in a comfortable suburb like um, Cherrybrook and being asked to attend a National Emerging Leaders Conference, Emerging Evangelists Conference? Um, I think when you first asked me, my reaction was, Okay, um, I'm the, yeah, I, I think the word evangelist is um, kind of caught me off guard. Mm. I never really saw myself as an evangelist. Um, and yeah, coming from, like, I, I guess my picture of evangelism was being out there in a place that's quite, um, quite isolated, quite um, out of your comfort zone. Um, but I think, yeah, um, I'm someone who will kind of say yes to any conference if it's got good teaching and if it's, um, relatively free for me. Um, so I, yeah, I, I said yes without really knowing what to expect and being quite um, ready for challenges, I think. Yeah. Uh, so tonight what we're going to do is, uh, this is the format which you'll see us in. I'll be asking questions. We'll be doing a bit of an interview, just giving us an insight into some of the reflections that um, Annie's gleaned, and so we can all benefit from that as well. Um, so it'll be experiences from this conference as well as um, some things over in Japan and some other things she's been thinking about in recent times. Uh, let's begin by asking, can I ask just what your experiences of evangelism have been? Um, so I, I mentioned really briefly just then that um, the word evangelist really um, caught me off guard. Um, before 2013, I used to have nothing to do with evangelism. The word itself freaked me out. Um, it felt like it was only for a certain group of people who were evangelists and everyone knew it. Um, but for me, yeah, it, it wasn't my thing, um, so I thought I could kind of get away with it. Um, so I can date it back to 2013 because that's the year that my grand, one of my grandfathers passed away. Um, and so that was the first time that I really thought about um, 
the need for other people to hear the gospel because um, when I went back to Malaysia for the funeral, it was incredibly um, painful to watch um, this Taoist or Buddhist way of um, like burning everything um, to offer to them in the afterlife. And it just seemed very, very meaningless. And I thought, I can't, I can't see the rest of my family go this way either. Um, so in 2013 onwards, um, I think that's also the year that my other grandfather had a couple of strokes and um, over the years he kept having a couple of strokes. So um, yeah, I went back to Malaysia a fair bit to um, share the gospel with him. Um, and yeah, another way is um, through my uni Christian group. So I go to the um, UCID and the Christian group there is called the Sydney University Evangelical Union. Um, so we call it the EU, but their focus, they have a really big focus on um, evangelism as well, and um, they have this framework called LRLR, which is less reached and less resourced um, places. So they really um, encourage us to go to places that are less reached with the gospel and less resourced with um, people and with materials to um, train up um, disciples. Um, so that's really helped me to think about how I can use my profession, um, being a uni student, um, but also they have a lot of um, evangelistic opportunities to, um, yeah, to, to encourage us to, to share the gospel with our friends. Yeah. Um, and the third thing I think is um, my heart for Japan. Um, so I used to just really love Japan as um, a country with a really beautiful culture. Um, but when I entered uni and heard for the first time the statistics of Christianity in Japan um, with currently 0.58% evangelical Christians in a country of 126 million people. Um, I think I was really shocked by that. Um, and I just thought, well, if, if I love this country so much and I have a heart for people to hear about Jesus, then it just kind of seemed that that would fit together mm. in evangelism or mission in some way. Mm. So I'm hearing it started more personal, thinking about family members. Uh, also, it just became every day at uh, mm. university, but also now thinking through uh, global mission and thinking about evangelism in somewhere like Japan, which is uh, far from being very reached with the gospel. Uh, in, your, in your thinking about things, what do you think is the biggest barrier, or has been the biggest barrier to your personal evangelism? Mm. Um, I think something for myself that I also see in other people um, is a fear, um, mm. fear of what other people will think about you, um, what other people will say about you, um, fear of not knowing if you have the right words to say as well, um, fear of being judged by other people, especially in a culture that's changing so much. Um, and yeah, I think just being afraid of um, being too, too weak to make a big impact. Um, I think also like just reflecting on um, a couple of um, I guess, unsuccessful exchanges in the past. Um, there's been um, a barrier of being too busy as well. So I think something that we get caught up in, um, we get caught up in our own lives and we forget that God's kingdom um, is you know, a thing and we forget that Jesus will return soon. Um, and so we, yeah, we're, we're too busy to kind of think about other people um, and we're too comfortable as well with um, our little bubble. Mm. Yeah. But I think the biggest, if we're looking at the biggest barrier, it would be fear. Have you found anything along the way, um, whether last year or thinking through this conference now, uh, things that have helped uh, in thinking about overcoming that fear, that, that sort of barrier? Mm. Um, I think the easiest way to 
to answer would be um, a better understanding of what the gospel is um, and a better understanding of what um, evangelism really is. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with the first one. Um, so the word evangelism comes from um, like good news or the gospel. Um, so it's the, the good message that we have. Um, so, you know, you have to ask exactly uh, what is it. Um, I think our, our gospel is that Jesus is our risen saviour and our Lord. He's already redeemed us um, from, um, yeah, from sin and from death. He's got the victory um, over death. And we know that God is making all things new. Um, so I think that's the crux of the gospel in Annie's terms. Um, so if we really, truly believe that um, God reigns, that he has victory over death and that he is um, Lord of all, then that in itself should be our, um, our motivation and our, our strength um, for preaching this gospel. Um, so when I was at the conference, um, we heard a lot from a guy called Mike Frost. I think you might have heard of him. He called it the reign of God. Um, the gospel is the reign of God. And he got that from Isaiah 52, verse 7. Um, it's quoted in Romans 10 as well. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good, good tidings, who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, your God reigns. It's one of the slides. I'm not sure if the slides are working. Yes, there you go. Um, yeah, I think that the context of that is that um, Zion, or the Israelites, were being held captive at that time by the Babylonians, um, which were their greatest enemy. Um, and so he kind of related it to us now, when we are being held, uh, when we are encountering people who are being held captive, um, in our case by their sin, um, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim to them that our God reigns. Um, and he's also asking people who are in captivity to proclaim that message as well. Um, so I think that's a, um, yeah, that's uh, one of the verses that I hold on to, um, to understand what, how the gospel kind of gives us um, motivation and strength to proclaim. Mm. Yeah. You said those two things there, like, so the first thing that helps overcome the barrier is um, understanding what the gospel is, but you said there's another thing, what helps is if we understand what evangelism is. Uh, so what would you say evangelism is? Um, so evangelism, I think, is the process of proclaiming the gospel. Um, so I think there's this kind of misconception about evangelism as being um, like about like big events or um, you know really eloquent speeches or sharing all of the gospel in one conversation. Um, I really don't think it has to be. Um, so talking about um, the reign of God, Mike Frost says that um, evangelism or procla proclaiming the gospel is to alert everyone everywhere to the universal reign of God through Christ. And so um, in the Old Testament, like the prophets and the judges would proclaim this, um, they would alert people um, about the reign of God through, of Yahweh, and in the New Testament, people um, pointed it to Christ as well. So I think to summarize, um, our mission isn't to extend the reign of God, we're not the ones who are converting people, but our, vision, our mission is to lift people's eyes to see the reign of God um, and to alert them about it. Yeah, so I think that just knowing that we're alerting people, it, it doesn't, it feels like the task isn't so crazy. It's not that big. Mm. Yeah. Uh, even going from that, though, I see the definition up there. 
what could that look like, practically speaking? Uh, what does it look like to alert someone to the reign of God? Um, so in the past, um, this is some, an illustration they gave in the conference. Um, in the past, we've adopted what's called an open house methodology. So we open up our church, we invite people, we expect them to come in, and often we expect them to come in without inviting them. Um, but people who are looking for spiritual guidance or who don't know that they're looking for spiritual guidance, they often don't think to walk into a church. Um, not these days, at least. And so they um, said that instead we should have a ascending into the harvest approach. And so looking at the idea of how um, what in, the thing that attracts non-church people to religion is seeing other people live out their faith in action. So if you call yourself a Christian, then I want you to prove it. Um, so that happens the best in the context that we find ourselves in. So like if it, we're at work, at school, um, with our families and in our neighborhood as well. And so living our faith in action, I think that comes um, clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. Um, it says, You are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, or light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I think our good deeds um, should be noticeable for other people to see, and it should also point them towards God, um, to glorify God. And um, because the Bible in other places, it says that we are going to be different as Christians, we're aliens, we're foreigners, um, we should be different to the world, and our actions should be noticeably different as well. Um, so they said to, um, to summarize it, live such questionable lives that people can't help but ask why. So our actions have to be questionable. Um, the second thing is for, um, to talk about it. So for people to come to God, it's not enough to just do the good things and hope that the people will see the gospel in it. If they just see us doing good things, they think we're a good person. It doesn't necessarily point them towards Christ. Um, so what we need to um, also know how to do is to complement that with talk. Um, so in the same way, Jesus spoke about the reign of God, and he also acted in a way that was in line with it. Um, so essentially, we need to be so full of knowledge about the gospel that we can quote, reference, and not shut up about Jesus. That was Mike Frost. Um, so I think that um, some of the questions that we really have to ask ourselves are, um, do we know the gospel enough that we can talk about it? Um, and like it says in 1 Peter, we have to do it with gentleness and respect. So do we know how to talk about the gospel in a way that is gentle and respectful? Um, I think that's something that um, some of us feel like we might need to, to practice. Um, so yeah, that was a really thought-provoking thing for me. Yeah, and I think um, in order for, for that to happen, I think we need to really um, allow the people around us to know us better. Um, not just doing good things as a stranger, but building those relationships so that they can feel comfortable enough to ask us about it um, and to facilitate those conversations. Uh, say we're doing some of those things that you're doing. We're in relationships with people. Uh, we're doing some good things. and we're. Did you, did you pick up any of us and how do you segue into actually having a more spiritual conversation with somebody as you're relating to them, as you're getting to know them? Because it's so easy just to talk about almost everything else other than spirituality and religion and what people think about those things. Um, how do you get there? Um, so I think, firstly, we have to remember that um, the, 
the Bible is not completely separate from the things of this world in the sense that um, things like family, relationships, money, um, these are all in the Bible as well. So um, there are little entryways there. But I think um, going back to the definition of evangelism before, of alerting people to the reign of God, if we want to alert them to it, we have to know what the reign of God is. Um, so again, Mike Frost, his um, examples, uh, his way of looking at the reign of God was to split it up into four different categories. So we've got reconciliation, justice, wholeness, and beauty. Um, open to more suggestions, but this is what he thought all of everything in the gospel would relate to. Um, so for reconciliation, we know that God is reconciling us to himself through Christ in Colossians. Um, and that would look like, you know, confessing our wrongdoings, um, being united as a church, and even, for example, marriage counseling, that's reconciling a broken relationship. Um, so things that are very tangible that we see in the world that we don't have to be Christians to see, um, there are ways that we can talk reconciliation into that. Um, so things like justice, um, there's like social justice initiatives, um, but we also, you know, have, um, like when we speak up to those who don't have power, um, even not stealing, it's an example of, um, you know, equity and justice for all. Um, wholeness is referring to, um, yeah, no sickness or disease. And so even when we're fixing broken things, I, I don't know, you can use that as an entryway um, to talk about it. Um, obviously, it's based on the context. Um, and with beauty, in particular, this was interesting, I found. Um, we know that in heaven, there's no brokenness, um, there's no dirt, but... Um, yeah, you can see beauty in, in everyday things like art, in nature, music, um, and cleaning. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, so I think that, um, yeah, Mike said that as a church, we need to be beautifiers. We need to um, show the world that there is beauty in it because often we only see the ugliness. Um, and yeah, oh, so, uh, so for example, um, he was talking about how with... Um, the floods in Queensland a couple of years back. Um, there was this massive um, fundraising um, event, like a, a lot of people chipped in money to help, and you could see a lot of generosity. Um, but then as soon as a couple of months was over, all of that kind of died down. Um, so they're saying, like, how can we keep that generosity, that love and that beauty and that restoration alive in our communities as well? Mm. Um, yeah. That's an interesting framework to think through. Have you um, yourself had any um, know, interesting conversations along those lines uh, using one of those um, you know, possible lead-ins to, to actually have a conversation with somebody? Have you mm. found that? Has it been a thing since? Yeah, so I mentioned before at, um, in the EU at, at uni, um, we have a lot of evangelism events. So recently um, we had something called Festival. The idea was um, people would hold, um, like Christians would hold little festival side festival, what are they called, side, the mini stores, um, but it was more kind of like grassroots opportunities, so we would um, organize events that we thought our friends would be interested in, or people around us would be interested in, and intentionally have gospel conversations through that, um, and then they also had like the big Bible talks that all of the university was invited to, and mm -hmm. um, so being an education student, we found that in our tutorials, we talk a lot about social justice, and how a lot of um, kids don't have access to education. And so we thought to engage in conversation with our peers, we would hold a social justice dialogue. Mm. So we had questions like, um, do you think God is responsible for social justice? 
or um, who do you think is responsible for it, or um, things like, do you see social justice happening in the future? You know, just like very conversational starters that we could um, engage people in with. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that was a very explicit kind of example. Um, but no, I can't think of anything off the top of my That's head. Right. It's just the first time I've sort of seen that framework. So yeah. It's yeah. worth having a bit of a nut on later. Um, I don't know if this came up in the conference at all, but uh, just the idea of you went to an evangelism conference for emerging evangelists. What if you don't feel like an evangelist? What if you're just an average somebody living in Cherrybrook and you're feeling like you're doing life? Uh, any, any tips or advice for, for people in that situation? Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, like I said before, I, I didn't feel like an evangelist either. Um, at the conference, they said, Surely someone sees you as an evangelist. That's why you're at an evangelism conference. I think that was the first time I ever thought of myself as an evangelist. Because um, I think I've got this image of, you know, the Dillons or Jim and Elizabeth Elliot who do really, really radical things for the gospel. Um, and then there are people I see at uni who do walk-ups. Um, and that's really something that I can't do. Although Adam's been doing it. So if you want to <laughs> talk to someone about walk-up evangelism, you can chat to him later. Um, but I see myself as more as someone who does relational evangelism, so using existing relationships and speaking about the gospel um, through everyday conversations. Um, but, um, yeah, so in Ephesians 4, it says that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. So it, clearly there are some people who are evangelists. Not everyone is an evangelist. But still, in the Bible, um, we are supposed to, we are called to evangelize as well. Um, so not everyone is an evangelist, but we all are called to evangelize um, because we have this message of Jesus and we need to share it with other people. Um, so um, essentially another framework that they gave us was um, the evangelist, their role is to proclaim the gospel with boldness and clarity and everyone else is to socialize and answer questions. So I'll show you where that's from. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, Pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So that's where the boldness comes in. Colossians says, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Um, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So with boldness and clarity. Um, for everyone else, in the next two verses, he says, Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so, be kind towards outsiders, show them hospitality, have conversations that are full of grace and seasoned with salt. So that's his frame, uh, summarized in the word socialize. Um, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's our way of um, evoking conversations and um, having opportunities to answer their questions. Um, so I think that's a big relief for those of you who might not feel like you're particularly um, gifted in evangelism necessarily, um, but to just yeah, use um, the friendships that you have um, and the, yeah, your personality as well to just socialize with other people um, and to learn the gospel enough so that you can answer questions when they come. Um, because it says in 1 Peter 3.15, everyone um, must you know, give a reason for the hope that you have um, and do it with gentleness and respect. Um, 
something that rebuked me from the conference is, um, you know, when they said, if no one is asking you any questions, then you're doing it wrong. Essentially, if we're not living a life that's crazy, that's weird, then we're too aligned with the ways of this world, and we need to, um, yeah, we need to change that. Um, um, in particular, going back to that framework before with the four different um, aspects of the reign of God, um, yeah, we're, we're in a world that we can see is being ripped apart, that's being broken. Um, we can be weird by being the one that reconciles people. Um, we can be the ones that um, beautify something that's ugly, and that in itself is being weird. Um, so even when it's hard, I think that's a positive way that we can approach it. Um, and I wanted to share about a way that you could um, be everyone else and link to the work of the evangelists. Um, so um, my mum is a first-generation Christian, and my mum and dad, I'm going to embarrass you. Um, so my mum's a first-generation Christian, and so I mentioned before my grandpa had a couple of strokes. Um, so when we went back to Malaysia, um, my mum would kind of share with him her desire for him to be saved. Um, being a first-generation Christian, I guess the, the words don't come as easily. I think um, for me, I've had a lot of, you know, I've heard a lot of talks at uni and um, at church and just kind of, um, I'm a little bit more um, equipped with words. Um, but for my mum, she shared her heart um, for my grandpa to be saved. Um, and then, by God's grace, um, my grandma had a friend who um, has been inviting her to church um, for a couple of years. And so got in touch with that friend who asked uh, like a, um, her Bible study leader, I think, from her church to come and speak to my grandpa. So we've got a chain of people who have been um, from someone who is um, yeah, sharing their desire just very genuinely all the way to someone who knows how to speak and how to pray with people so that they can come to know Christ. Um, and then by God's grace, um, my grandpa did accept Jesus as well. Um, so I think we can also kind of um, not feel like we all have to be the one who pro proclaims the gospel directly. I was actually going to move our next question. Like, we might all, all feel like we're the people with words. We're not. We might be people who are not good at words at all. Um, you started outlining some of that, but mm. what maybe other roles that? You know, what are there other roles we can play if we're not particularly good at explaining about Jesus in, in words? Um, what other things can we do? Yep. Um, so this is the interactive element. Um, the conference emphasised um, that there are heaps of differences in the body of Christ. And so they gave a framework of six different styles of evangelism. Um, if you can't read that, that's okay. Adam's going to hand around a sheet of paper with it. Um, and on the first page is a questionnaire to help you to figure out what kind of evangelist you are or what kind of evangelism your style is. Um, so we're going to have about 10 minutes um, to go through it. But um, essentially, this table up um, on the screen is showing the six different styles. You've got the direct ones who are just kind of confrontational, they're proclaiming the gospel out in your face. Um, you've got the intellectual who are good at those kinds of arguments and, uh, sorry, discussions, not arguments, discussions. Um, testimonials who are good at sharing their stories. Interpersonal, um, people who are well connected to a group of friends um, or just people, uh, people, people, a uh, people person, but plural. And there's invitational, so people who are um, comfortable with inviting people and serving, so people who um, yeah, demonstrate their love in action and who um, are just really good at, good at that, selfless um, yeah, and compassion. 
Maybe take uh, five minutes right now to have a quick, you might not finish the whole thing, but take five and then um, just, you can finish it at afternoon tea, morning tea, supper, what are we doing? Supper, <laughs> time of the day. Or take it home and, and finish it. It should be fairly self-explanatory mm. if you wanted some help yep, with the that. the instructions are there as well. Just come and um, chat with Annie as so well. So essentially afterwards. you're ranking yourself from one to five on each, with one being least like you and five being the most like you stuck into it. Uh, diagnostic tools are kind of fun like that. What I would suggest you do actually is um, finish it tonight or some other time, but you get an idea of what kind of different styles of evangelism that you might actually prefer in, in of yourself. And why not over supper after tonight, have a chat, find some other people who may be similar or different to you and see how this might impact the way that you see uh, your role in speaking and interacting with the people around you in evangelism. Uh, that might be a helpful and a good conversation to have. I know you haven't finished it all now, but you could um, work quickly afterwards or find people who might be different to you or similar to you and see how that might be a useful resource for you moving forward. Let me just finish this interview. Just a couple of quick questions to finish up. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your own journey in evangelism? You were in Japan a bit last year, mm -hmm. uh, December last year. What did you see over in, what do they call that country? The There's a little phrase, like uh, New Zealand's a what, long white cloud. Is that New Zealand? Kind of land of the long white cloud. Japan is a thing as well. Rising, rising sun. Land of the rising yeah. sun. What did you see over in a... I saw a lot of snow. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I went in December, so it was kind of um, beginning of winter, which was really great. Um, I went to a region called Tohoku, which is north of Japan, just below Hokkaido. Um, um, like I mentioned before, there are 126 million people. It definitely saw a lot of people but 0.58% evangelical Christians. Um, so that was really confronting, um, having those statistics going into the country. Um, I went to a church in Tokyo, and there were, it was an international church, so people from um, different countries, so there was like English translations as well. There were about 150 people there. So a bit smaller than what we have here, um, but still relatively okay. Um, but the rural church that I spent my mission trip in had about 30 people on a regular basis. Um, so this would kind of be their Sunday morning service. Um, and we kind of partnered with um, some other missionaries there as well. They had six people on a regular basis. Um, and yeah, I think just even just by numbers, I think that um, really um, surprised me. Um, but yeah, so back at the church with um, 30 people. Um, so we were there for you know, seven days a week. Um, we took part in all the different ministry opportunities that they had. Um, so they had English conversation classes um, for kids and adults during the week, um, an English cafe for high school and uni where you kind of discuss life topics. Um, we helped out at some kindergartens, and um, because it was Christmas, we kind of shared a lot of, um, uh, like, uh, what are they called, nativity stories. Mm. Um, we had some Christmas con uh, like concerts and um, celebration events um, and a lot of household tasks, so just to serve the people who were there um, long term. Um, so I think the most significant kind of evangelism event was um, like the Christmas um, uh, night. I think they just call it Christmas night. Um, so afterwards we had, um, like we set up similar to what we do for church lunch, just lots of tables, people sat around and ate. Um, and I think our role there was to help, help the long-term um, missionaries to be able to, to free them up so that they could talk to people who um, had language barriers. And for us, we did a lot of the hands-on work, um, but also chatted with people who we you know, shared a bit of English. Um, so 
through those events, just even a once-off night. Um, we had a lot of conversations that um, just helped build relationships with them and the church so that they know that um, the church is a friendly place that they can come to. Um, and I think there were a couple of conversations that, um, that where people were really investigating about Jesus as well. Um, so just very simple events um, where it's, um, it's, it's the right time and place to have those conversations. Mm. Um, and a lot of people could see how um, friendly and helpful we were. Um, so they really com- commended us on that. And um, I think it was just a good witness to be showing that love in action in that way. Um, I think um, something I learned about the people in Japan, um, they're surprisingly open and interested um, in the gospel. Um, they didn't have those kinds of intellectual barriers that we have now with um, like how does God and science fit together or how can we trust that the Bible is real. I think for them the issue um, was more um, cultural, so they, were, they didn't want to be shunned um, by people around them and they didn't, um, they, they, they weren't easily trusting. So I think they really needed to, to have experienced God and know that they can trust him. Um, so in that case, um, a lot of, um, like it helped to share our testimonies. So the missionaries had opportunities to share um, at all the different English classes and um, yeah, just to let them know that for us, God is real and he has worked in our lives. Um, and I think um, coming back here as well um, to Sydney, something that really um, challenged and encouraged me is how their ministry opportunities were so random. Like they had English classes, which is fairly standard. Um, Then they also had Pilates classes, um, ukulele classes, sewing classes. Um, So as long as one of those missionaries knew how to do one of those things, they essentially got the word out and got people to come. And at the end of it, um, so throughout the the class, they would kind of chat about um, life and just get to know each other. And then at the end, they would share from the Bible or they would share a testimony. Um, and everyone was totally okay with it. They weren't like, oh, like you're bringing this Christian stuff into. They had no reservations like that. They were just happy to hear. Um, so I think that's something that we could do a little bit more, just um, make use of our hobbies and our mutual interests with the people around us um, and just hang out with them and get to open ourselves to them um, and help them to see um, how God has changed our lives. Yeah, that's a very short summary of it. Come chat later if you want more. Could just be really polite as well, because that's the impression that I sort of get from mm. interactions with my Japanese friends. But they that's the good thing. <laughs> it means that you can kind of abuse that. It's not not abuse it, but yeah, you the, um, utilize it. I guess you've had some time in Japan. You've had the time in this conference. Um, in closing, I just wonder, in all your reflection on that, whether there's anything that um, you've had a message for us as a church or for the people who are gathered here tonight, um, things that you'd like to leave with us, mm. um, just your thoughts and things that you've experienced. Mm. Um, so a couple of things. I haven't really grouped them, so bear with me. Um, so firstly, I think in evangelism, there tends to be this gap between like micro events and macro events. So we think of um, like big rallies and conferences where um, it's specifically for evangelism. And then we have our individual conversations. Um, so that's that kind of spectrum. But I think we, as a church, what we can do is focus on the middle, which is community events and things that happen in small networks. Um, so, um, for example, a church um, grabbing some people to help someone with renovation work. That is a way that we can um, evangelize as a group of people um, so that, um, yeah, we can all kind of chip in a little bit. Um, I think bulk evangelism doesn't work so well in Australia. Um, I think, yeah, they said that people don't come to watch 
Um, but uh, people come to watch, but they don't come to participate. So they might kind of hear about it, but they don't really want to um, I don't know, talk about it very much, I think. Um, so I think that's why for us in today's culture, um, relational evangelism is quite helpful. Um, so subtle plug, not subtle plug for Penno Life. Um, the vision is um, this year is to be um, building relationships that um, allow for opportunities for them to get to know Jesus. And so we're kind of capitalizing on those relationships and using them to facilitate conversations. Um, so evangelism should be um, in the, the very DNA of our church as well. Um, it's not just something that only people on the, who are gifted in evangelism do, but um, I think the church needs to really embrace that um, because in all that we do as a church and as individuals, we are to be a sign um, of the reign of God um, by pointing people um, to it, by talking about it, by being a lighthouse. Um, and to be a foretaste as well, an appetizer of what's to come so that people can experience things like reconciliation and beauty when they meet us. Um, I think the thing, the, the blessing that we have in being a community is that we can um, work together with each other in that. Um, so with each other in our church, but also with people who, um, people like Belinda Lakeland who uh, you know, we have connections with, um, people who have that training material. Um, so things even like Christianity Explored, that's something that is run as a group um, where we can, we don't have to be the ones who share the gospel, but we can bring others to it. Um, and all the different training and seminars that happen. Um, because God, like, he does plan to use the local church. He, he's done that um, in Acts. Um, he, he, yeah, he does that even today, we can see. Um, and we can see in our own lives as well. We don't think of just one person who's really shaped our Christian growth. We think of a group of people. Um, um, uh, yeah, with, with that as well, if we're going to be working together, I think we also have to help each other recognize the gifts um, that, pe- uh, that God has given us, um, the different gifts and styles that make us who we are, and um, yeah, be confident in that as well. So with those labels that we have, um, you might think that labels aren't really helpful. Um, I think in this case, I probably wouldn't hold on to it um, like super tightly, but I think just knowing what our strengths are will um, help us to be confident in that and to, to use that. Um, so I think often we don't see it in ourselves. Uh, we don't see it for ourselves. It helps to have other people pointed out to us. So I think encourage each other with that. Um, say, I think, he's shaking his head. I think, Chewie, you have a gift in teaching. <laughs> you should go into teaching or something um, if you haven't already. Um, so. Um, yeah, I think helping people to really um, identify and embrace that. Um, and then for you as well, fit, uh, find out how you fit in with the body of Christ, um, how God has shaped us um, and the different um, gifts and availabilities and cons- circumstances that we're in. Um, so um, one um, kind of example that Andrew Turner gave, which I found really helpful, he's the guy who wrote um, the Fruitful Church thing. Um, so he said, for example, a youth leader asks, hey, can you help out on Friday night? Um, instead of saying no directly, um, or instead of kind of saying yes directly without kind of thinking about um, the other consequences, he said um, he advocates this yes-if model. So you kind of say like, yes, I could, but on Friday nights I usually have this mountain of paperwork that I need to get done. Um, and so someone else who is good at paperwork could step in and say, hey, I can take your paperwork um, thing for you. Um, but on that night, I have, I, I have to cook for a bunch of people. 
Um, and then if we know someone else who's good at cooking, which we have no shortage of here, we can say, oh, but you know, blah, blah, blah is good at cooking. Um, they're free on Friday nights, they could do that for you instead. And so it's this idea of villaging, where a village that helps each other and that knows each other well um, and is willing to step up to um, take, to share in those, um, I was gonna say burdens, they shouldn't be burdens, to share in that responsibility um, so that we, we're not just scrambling to find the same people for everything, but we can share that among ourselves as a church. Um, I think also if, um, so if you have someone that you're evangelizing to, um, I think it's helpful to let the leaders know or the pastors know, um, and they can kind of help you clarify that pathway between having those individual conversations and bringing them to Christ or bringing them to church or um, like what's the next step. I think don't, don't try, yeah, I would advise against keeping it to yourself. Um, for the sake of your own um, kind of, uh, what's the word? Like for your own confidence, um, but also because um, you can encourage other people with that as well. Um, if you are yeah, having good conversations, like share that with your small group, share it with um, yeah, your friends, because I think that helps them to encourage you to continue persevering, encourages them to keep persevering, um, and we can all celebrate in that together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the last, last thing, um, remember that for the evangelist or for the missionary, um, it can be quite a lonely job. Um, they're not just the missionary, but they are a person, they are a sister or a brother in Christ, um, they need support as well. Um, same for the pastors and ministry leaders. Um, so, um, yeah, Andrew Turner came with this helpful fishing analogy. So, next slide. Yep. <laughs> My did on paint. Um, so, often we see church as like a cluster of people in the center. Um, we're kind of um, building each other up. We're growing to be um, healthy um, disciples. And then we have a couple of evangelists who are good at talking to people. They're the ones that go out and um, fish for people and pull them in. Um, but I think that can get really tiring for the evangelist, and it also doesn't really help the church members to grow and to um, yeah, participate in the mission that God has for us. Um, so instead, um, he says to flip it so that everyone is out there casting their lines into their workplaces, into their schools, um, into the people that they interact with. And when they start feeling the line wriggling, then they can call the evangelist to help them pull the people in. Um, or they could, um, like, so, like, the evangelist could kind of give tips or, um, act, or maybe be the one who does actually talk to them and help pull them in. Um, and then they can, the next step is to the pastors and the teachers who um, can, you know, to really share the gospel um, and help them to grow. Um, so I think that's helpful for our church. Um, to, yeah, to, to be bold in um, casting our lines into our workplaces, um, to be yeah, bold in having those conversations um, and to see um, God's mission as for everyone to evangelize, um, not just for certain people who are good at it. Um, because even if, you're, you, if you, even if you don't think you're good at it, um, there are ways that God has made you to be who you are and um, he will use that powerfully for his kingdom. Yeah. Thank you, Annie. Thank you for sharing with us. Uh, Can I lead in prayer for you and for us, uh, and then we'll move into a different mode. God, thank you for the way that you've shaped us and and, uh, the gospel that you've poured into our life. Uh, Help us to see how we might be uh, fishers of men and and women uh, in the places where you've put us. Uh, We pray for Annie as she uh, continues to journey through 
uh, finishing uni and looking at what opportunities that are out there for her in the world. We pray that um, this burden you've put in her heart for Japan uh, and for just the other people that are in the world that she's in right here, right now, uh, might blossom and grow and become uh, a real passion in her life uh, that she is able to uh, put into uh, real practice the things that um, you've given her a heart to do. Help that to be real for all of us. Uh, help us to, to take uh, some of this uh, content and material that um, Annie's been learning and help us to uh, channel it through our own personalities and, and how we do the things we do with the people we do it with. Uh, we pray that you would uh, send more of us out uh, and that through us there might be great blessing into our world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Annie. Uh, it is 20 past 7, so instead of doing a proper talk, I'll just give you my summary. Uh, I was going to do a talk on Matthew 28. Really, the thing I want to draw your attention to is super simple. So I'll do it. It's this the bookends of this Great Commission passage. I was just going to flick up the words for you. Um, it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And all I was going to do was draw your attention to not the middle, which everyone remembers, which is about going and baptizing and, and making disciples and teaching. I thought what I wanted to do was to help address the fear thing that Annie mentioned at the start, which I think is a real thing. We're afraid of what happens when we try to evangelize and it doesn't go well. What's going to happen to that? relationship? What's going to happen to my work life or my social life or my family life if things go pear-shaped? And I think the two things that really help with that are at the other ends, actually, of, of the Great Commission. Not actually the go and make disciples bit, but the start and the end. Um, the start, if it was a conflict back two slides, is where it says, very similar to how Mike Frost will put it, uh, it's about the reign of God in Christ. All authority, says Jesus, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's taken this uh, terrified group of disciples who left him. And you fast forward a few weeks and there's a church of 3,000 and growing. And the big thing is that they understand and they believe that all authority really has been given to Jesus. And so Annie's uh, encouragement of us to really reflect on what the gospel really is. Um, this morning, John encouraged us to have a look at who Jesus really is. If you missed that talk, please look it up on our church website. Let that be the starting point of giving us some confidence to go and overcome the fear of people uh, as we see Jesus. And the last thing I wanted to encourage you with is uh, the last slide. Actually, after he says go, he says this, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The one who tells us to go, strangely, he says go, I'm with you, and then he disappears himself, actually. He goes in a sense in heaven, but you know he goes and he pours out his spirit. That's, that's the thing he goes to do. And the good thing about the spirit of God is that he's always with all of us wherever we go. It's not a bodily thing. Uh, and you see the massive impact that it had on the church then. You see the impact it has on your life now from convicting you of sin to transforming you a little bit at a time to be more like Jesus and empowering you and inspiring you to do uh, brave and crazy and great things in the name of Jesus. The one with all authority is with us. And we have no reason to fear. Uh, I was with, this week, uh, I think there were some th thunderstorms on Thursday and Friday night, around 7 o'clock. I think I remember that because 7 o'clock is Evie's bedtime. Uh, and like a lot of small animals and children, and some adults, 
lightning scares her, like freaks the hell out of her. And uh, so seven o'clock, we tucked her in, we turned the light off, we closed the door, and then, bam, like lightning flashes a couple of seconds later, the thunder shakes the house, and you hear two things. You hear, we've got a colorblind roof, you hear the rain on the roof, um, and you hear this little four-year-old running out of bed, screaming her head off, trying to find the door and trying to get to us for a bit of comfort. And so there I am, holding her, uh, trembling little buddy, helping her calm down, and what she wanted, what she needed was really just my presence with her to calm her down. Now, I'm under no illusion that I have any real authority. I can't stop the rain. I can't stop the lightning, no matter how much I reassure her and try to promise those things. But we know the one who can. Uh, Jesus tells us he is the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, and he is the one with us. And I hope Evie will one day learn that herself. But that's something which he tells us in Matthew. He, tells, he shows us in his whole life in the gospel. He is the one with all authority. And he says, go, I am with you. Uh, and so take that uh, into your week. Reflect on that. And uh, I hope you have a really great rest of your night together. Thanks, Ian.